our guest tonight, Enrique Alvarez. Uh, he is uh, ready to give us a lot of information about retirement. And you know, you have heard in the news also a lot about the baby boomers that they are starting to retire and lots of decisions have to be made. And these are very important decisions because from what I understand, they are irreversible. And Enrique Alvarez is going to uh, talk to us about that. So let us uh, welcome him. Buenas noches, bienvenido, Enrique. Good evening and welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Very good. It's a pleasure to have you here because I know you have tons of information and I know that we don't have that much, but we're going to try to do the best we can. And whatever we don't finish and we don't cover tonight, how about if we cover it some other time, right? Yep. Would that be possible? Perfect. Good, good, good. Well, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Good, good. Very good. So um, we're going to talk about our retirement and um, you are the retirement doctor. And before we uh, hear your advice. Tell us a little bit about you, please, about your background, um, your experience. I was born in Cuba, and I came to the U.S. in 1960. Um, I started in financial services in 1973, and I've been, it, this is my 42nd year in financial services. I have a master's degree in financial services from the American College. I'm a Charter Life Underwriter, Certified Financial Planner, a Registered Employee Benefits Consultant, Chartered Advisor for Senior Living, Registered Financial Consultant, and a Registered Health Underwriter. So I've spent most of my career studying to give the best advice possible. Very good. You have an impressive <laughs> uh, amount of uh, certifications and degrees and all that, which is great. And uh, since we're going to be talking about retirement, Enrique, and, and, um, what do you recommend? As I was saying, you know, so many baby boomers are ready to retire and they need a lot of information. What do you recommend that people do before they make an election for their pension? Well, the first that we, we tell our clients is to get complete physicals for both themselves and their spouse. Because a pension is paid for your life, unless you have a joint and survivor. And so if you have a really good physical and you know where you are, it may help you tremendously. There's many options to take with a pension. But if, if you're not gonna, if your health is not that good, there's certain uh, benefits that will pro give a lot more money to your family. So that is very important. In, uh, to, so the first step would be get a physical to know where you are. If you're in good health, you know, that means you're going to be living for a long time, most likely. So you got to plan accordingly. And if you are sick, then you got to make other decisions. Now, there are uh, two, there are different types of pensions. So you had mentioned to me that there is a, a private pension and a public pension. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference between these two types of pensions? Yes, there's many differences. On the private pension, typically it's based on your years of service, unless you work for a union where so much is set aside for you every month. On, on the public pensions, it's, they're generally geared for your last three years of service. With the private pension, 
once you make the election, for example, if you have a joint and survivor and your spouse predeceases you, you can't go back up to the higher dollar amount. With the public pensions, there's a pop provision where you can get a higher amount if your spouse predeceases you. Now, before we go into more details, uh, was I correct or was I wrong when I said that these are irreversibles? Are they irreversibles whether they are private or public pensions? Once you make your election, it's a permanent election. For example, if you take life only, and the day you pass away, typically that's the end of the benefits. When you take joint and survivor in the private pension, say your benefit was going to be $1,000 a month and you wanted your spouse to be covered, you might want to, uh, the, you would only get paid $800 a month and then she would get paid $800 a month. However, if your spouse predeceases you, you're stuck at the $800 a month. So you're realistically paying $200 a month for a benefit that can never be paid. With the public sector, that would not be true. With the public sector, same scenario. If your spouse predeceases you, you get that pop-up provision where you go back up to the thousand. I'm using these numbers arbitrarily. Right. Each 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 person's benefits. You have to look at the actual numbers. Right. So we're going to use a thousand. How how about if we use a thousand dollars as an arbitrary figure for all our different cases, uh, different scenarios, and then that will be an easier way to compare. Do you, do you agree with that? I do agree with okay, that. Okay, great, great. Okay, so uh, on this first one, I wasn't too clear. For example, um, uh, uh, you said we're talking about a, a private pension, or we're going to start with the public? Let's start with the private pension. Private pension. Okay, so there is a person alone who gets uh, $1,000 pension per month, and it's a private pension. Right. Okay, so once that person dies, that's the end of it. If they took a life only. If they took a life only. Right. What is the other alternative? Joint and survivor, where, that, you, where you cover another person. Okay. And the last one is period certain, where you would get that money for, say, a 20-year period. Years ago, I had a gentleman who had stage 4 cancer, and he knew he was not going to live through the summer. So the period certain would have made a lot more sense in his case because that meant that somebody would have gotten that money for 20 years. If he died after year one, his his family or a charity or whoever he wanted to would have continued receiving benefits for an additional 19 years. Life only would have terminated when he did. Ah, I see. Okay. So, but in the in the case where the person is alone, then there's only life. There is no option of you... Uh, well, period certain would be the other one. Okay, so that would be the third option. So let's stay with the first option first. So if the person is just uh, a single person and they have a life only, once they die, of course, then that's the end of their pension. But if they are married, you can make... If there's a couple, you can make different... Option. You have different options? You have the joint and survivor option. Joint and survivor. Yes, and that would work, for example, on equal amounts as long as either one of them is alive. So instead of getting 1000 you might be getting $800 a month. doesn't matter. How, as long as one of them is alive, $800 a month will be paid. Or there's 50% to the surviving spouse. So instead of getting a thousand, you might be getting nine hundred dollars, but then the surviving spouse would only get four hundred and fifty, 
which is 50% of the 900. That's another option. Yes, that you have to there's choose. numerous yeah. options. And yeah. each, oh, uh-huh. each plan has different options. Ah. And they should be reviewed. Ah. As well as your health issues and other other okay. issues before you make that election. All right. So so let's say um, there's a couple and each one of them is getting $800. Now, when one of the spouses dies, does the benefit uh, increase for the other one or no? No. In no. The private pension, the $800 is the maximum amount paid mm-hmm. to that family unit. Yeah. Okay. It's Let's say the woman in this case was a worker. Right. So it's her $800 a month. If she predeceases her husband, mm-hmm. he would then get that $800. But it's not 800 and 800. It's just one $800 check. In the public sector, same scenario, she could have gone back up to the $1,000. So instead of getting the 800, she'd go back up to the 1,000 if her spouse predeceased her. On so that's the problem with doing that is in the private sectors that you're you're paying two hundred dollars a month for a benefit that can never be paid. For many people, if they plan their pension ten, fifteen, twenty years beforehand, in some cases they can use the life insurance policy, which would give them a lot more options and maximize the income to the family. Okay, so that but that would involve did you say a life insurance? Yes, that yeah, would, okay. in, in certain cases it works. Okay, so that would be a completely different option, a life insurance, right? Life insurance gives you more flexibility when you make your pension election. Okay, so uh, let's say if a, a person could have both the life insurance and still receive Social Security pension? Well, Social Security is a, is a completely different type Com- of... Different. Different. The life insurance is pays in addition to everybody. So that's in excess. Okay. But let me give you a scenario. Let's say that I had a life insurance policy and I was very, very sick and it was time for me to collect my pension. I might choose the joint and survivor to cover my spouse or I might choose the period certain. The life insurance would be paid on top of that. Or say my wife was very sick, I might choose the life only option and have the life insurance in case I died prematurely, she would get the insurance or her income would continue for a period of time. You spoke about, um, uh, as, as, what did you call that, previews certain? Is that per- period certain? Period certain. certain. That's, that's a different option, a period certain? Yes, it pays you for a guaranteed time period, 10, 15, 20 years. The problem with period certain if you're healthy is that you could live longer than the period. So you could live 25 years and it would only pay you for 20 years. If you're not healthy, then there's a good chance that that money would continue to, to one of your heirs. So you make a choice when you when you decide that you want to take the period certain. You are making a choice and you are the one who decides I want to have this pension for 15 years or 20 years. You decide the years, right? Yeah, they give you different options. Different options. Okay, so so if I choose the period cer- certain for 20 years, and let's say that I am entitled to um, $800 uh, for 20 years, now, how does that work? Say you died year two, 
Okay. Okay. Your beneficiary would continue to receive that $800 a month for the balance of the 20 years, Aha, for, for another the, 18 for years. For 18 years, my beneficiary. And my beneficiary could be my partner, or does it have to be um, kids, or I name a beneficiary? Who who are they? With the period certain, you can choose anybody. With a joint and survivor, typically they want you to choose your spouse. In some cases, they let you choose one of the t- children, but then the benefits are reduced. Okay, so um, the and what happens, so if I, all right, I understand if I l- die in two years and the 18 years that are left, they go to my um, to my beneficiaries. Could I n- have several beneficiaries? Do I have to name just one or several? No, period, so you can have as many as you want. Okay. All right. So now, on the other hand, what happens if I live more than 20 years? You made the wrong election. <laughs> Okay, tough luck, right? <laughs> okay, Enrique, that, that doesn't sound good. So I'm out of luck, that's it, and there's nothing that will come to me. Not with a period certain. Right, right. So maybe in this case, it's a very good idea to get that health uh, checkup, right, that you mentioned at the beginning, because, you know, that would give me a pretty good idea if I am going to live uh, at least 20 years, if that's what I choose. So this uh, uh, health uh, checkup comes in very handy then. So, um, okay, so that's the third option. And... um, could we, uh, well, first let me announce that we are talking, we are have, we're having a conversation with Enrique Alvarez. We're talking about different options on retirement nowadays. Uh, so many people, especially the generation of the baby boomers, are either near to retiring or they are already retired or they are thinking about retiring. So we need a lot of uh, information about this. Let's talk a little bit about Social Security uh, and um, a, a regular pension. Well, the Social Security retirement system allows you to start receiving benefits at age 62. That's the earliest. And there's a reduction. And again, you need to look at your health as well. Because if your health is suspect, it's not very good. That may not be a bad idea to start taking it early. Some people choose to to take it out at a later date, as as far as age 70, because they would get a higher benefit. Typically, it goes up 8% per year. So if you expect to live a long, long time, and, and you're in a position to be able to afford to wait, then yes, that's, that makes sense to do. It takes about 13, 14 years to break even. If you take your Social Security pension at 62 and you make over 14000 or $15,000 a year, they start reducing the benefit. So you really can't be working and collecting Social Security without a reduction in benefits. That's if you're retired at what age? 62 to 66, that you may be getting a reduction in benefits depending upon how much more income you're earning. Earnings from work, not investment income. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, oh, oh. okay. All right. So if you're having some extra income from uh, investments, uh, whether they're stocks or something, that doesn't count. Only from earned income is what counts. Correct. And is that because your benefit is... um, smaller since you're retiring younger and then uh, you cannot make 
I don't know, a certain percentage of that total? Social Security has a normal retirement age. Uh-huh. Today, for most people, that's age 66. If you retire prior to 66 and, you, and you're earning money, they don't consider you to be fully retired, so they reduce your Social Security benefit. So what happens if I retire after 66 and then I am working? You could make as much money as you want. Is that right? Not ah. affected. Oh, 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 that's good to know. So 66 is the magic number. If you retire prior to 66, your earned income, whether it's a part-time or another full-time, will be counted and your benefits may decrease. Correct. But if you retire after 66, none of that earned income will be counted. Therefore, your uh, Social Security will not be decreased. That's correct. Ah, that's something new I just learned. That's pretty good. All right. So that's uh, uh, Social Security. Now, there there must be different scenarios on Social Security also. Do you have a choice uh, to to have different options if you have a partner or a spouse or children, or there are no options on that? Um, well, yes, there are, because the, the spouse can claim. Social Security is a slightly different thing, because you could have three or four spouses collecting in your Social Security. How so? If you've been married for 10 years or longer, and then you're divorced, yeah, each of those spouses, as long as they're not remarried, could technically be collecting. Oh. based on your Social Security earnings. So if you were married twice and uh, you have been married both times longer than years, both of those spouses can collect on your Social Security? That's correct. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, that's good to know too. <laughs> okay, so that's one scenario. All right. And the, there's a file suspend way if, if the if the primary insured is over 66, yeah. they can file for Social Security and then suspend it. And then their spouse can collect under their their 50% and then delay their own Social Security till age 70. So they might get more money that way. Ah, you you can file when you are age 66, but suspend it. So it stands like in a state of a suspension and then it becomes effective when you decide at age 70? Is that what you're saying? Right, and your benefit would continue to increase. So what would be the sense to file for, uh, you know, when you're 66 if you're not going to collect until you're 70? Because your spouse might be able to collect under the 50%. Uh Let's take the situation where you have a professional and maybe, not necessarily a professional, but a high-income earner and a stay-at-home spouse. Yeah. That stay-at-home spouse really never generated any Social Security benefits. That's right. So that person might be getting, say, $2,600 a month at age 66. So that spouse, the file and suspend, could be collecting $1,300 a month. And instead of getting $2,600, the person that's suspended might be getting $3,200 at age 70. Okay. But the spouse collected now. Oh, aha. Uh-huh. And if he has two spouses, then uh, both of them could collect 50% or it would be 25 and 25? No, there's a formula for it. It's not, not okay. quite like it's that. It's not that easy. And also they have to be unmarried at the time. Right, right. Yeah, I see. In theory, you could have somebody marry at 25, divorce at 35, marry at 35, <laughs> divorce at 45. You could have four spouses yeah. ah, collecting right, under your right. Social Security. And there is a formula to determine how much they get. Right. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, so um, 
the, the, the person would collect. But what what I am not too sure is, like you said, maybe they aren't the person who was the worker, the what do you call that wage earner? If he was entitled to twenty six hundred, but he w decides to wait until he's age seventy, the twenty six hundred might increase. Oh no, it increases by eight percent a year. It is increases. Can the spouse wait also a little bit longer to collect more of that instead of getting just half of twenty six? Can they wait and? Since you said 88% increases every year, if they wait a couple of years instead of collecting half, which would be 1300 maybe, can they wait and collect 1400 or no? Or they have to collect at age 62 or 66? Well, no, they can wait. They have the same option. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. All right. So that's a different scenario with Social Security. So... Um, the the person uh, and the spouses, as long as they have been married for ten years or more, they are eligible. Is there a different scenario that we should know, or that you can think of for the Social Security? Right. How about children? Uh, children don't collect retirement benefits typically. They they get survivors benefits, unless uh, it's a person dies. I see. And they would get that. In some cases, a disabled child might still be covered. Right. But it's only most of the cases, if there is not a disabled child, then um, there's only a survivor. One of the parents has to die. Otherwise, there is not a retirement benefit that the children can get. No, typically children get survivor's benefits. Yeah, okay, I see. All righty. Uh, we are uh, having a great conversation here with Enrique Alvarez, the retirement doctor. He is telling us uh, a lot of things to think of uh, before we decide to retire and how many options we have. What else can you tell us, uh, Enrique? Well, for some people, they retire. This is mostly in the private sector. Uh, at an earlier age, they may get a higher benefit that's reduced at age 62 when they can collect Social Security. So in essence, if you retire at 55, you might get, instead of 1000 a month, you might get $1,500 a month. And then at 62, because that's the time that you could start collecting Social Security, right? you'd get a reduced benefit at that point. So your 1000 your 1500 might go down 1000 at that point. And again, it's you can't look at the numbers because you've got to look at health issues. You've got to look at interests that people may have. Uh, so there's a lot of variables. The scenario that you told me that if there is a couple uh, and uh, one of them is getting $800 and uh, the person chooses to take $800 out of um, 1000 meaning that this person was entitled originally to get $1,000, but because he has a spouse, he decides that instead of taking $1,000, he decides only to go and take uh, $800. So I thought that maybe he would be losing $200. However, if there's a spouse, there is a benefit to doing this. Yes, it's for the surviving spouse. For the survive, ah, surviving. That means that this would only apply, the benefit would apply only once he dies. 
Correct. Okay, so what happens to the surviving spouse? Well, if, if the primary per, primary pensioner dies, the surviving spouse would continue to get the $800 a month for the rest of their lives. Which is the amount that he was getting. So Correct. she gets she gets it. He took a reduced benefit to provide. It's almost like buying an insurance policy for her. The difference between that and a private insurance policy is, is that if he had the private insurance policy, he could just cancel it and go back to the $1,000 a month. So in essence, he could have bought enough insurance to guarantee her the $800 a month and then cancel the policy or give it away or do whatever. But there's no benefit by taking the... If you get the joint survivor and your spouse predeceases you, yeah, it will cost you $200 a month for the rest of your life and for no benefit. Right, but when you die, she gets the $100 for life. In this case, she predeceased you. Oh, if she predeceases, okay, okay, okay. So if she predeceases the husband, then he's, he's stuck with the $800. He's stuck with the $800. For the rest of his life. Right. Aha. Uh -huh. Now, this option is with a private pension or, or what? When the, does with, this happen? With the public pensions, which is basically state and government employees, Right. typically most of them have what they call a pop-up provision which means that that 800 would pop up back to the 1,000 if your spouse predeceases you. That's with the public. Like right. if a person worked for the state or for the federal government Correct. or for the city maybe also? So it depends. You have okay. to look at each one individually. Okay. All right. But a private pension, no. It's a fixed amount. Once that person chooses to get less, then that's it. Uh, right. Even if their spouse predeceases them, it does not jump up to what it would have been. Right. Okay, I see. Now, um, we're coming towards the end of our conversation. I wanted to ask you something about the cost of living uh, adjustment. Uh, does that apply to any pension or no? Some public pensions have a cost of living adjustment. Social Security has a cost of living adjustment. Uh, public, private pensions typically do not. So if you get 1000 a month, 32 years later, you're still getting 1000 a month. That's a private pension? Yes. Most of them do not have a cost of ah, living. Ah, okay. But Social Security, I know I've heard of Social Security having... Uh, and, and many public pensions do have the cost of living. Cost of living. Uh-huh. Okay. And um, I guess we'll have to talk some other time about life insurance because you were telling me that life insurance has so many options also in which you can, uh, you know... Uh, you can make a, a, a good decision. So if anybody has any questions regarding uh, what we just spoke, do you have a web page, a uh, phone number uh, that they can call you or visit your web page? Of course. Um, my website is www.retirementdoctor.com or you just type in retirement doctor. It should pop up on the internet. My toll-free number is one 800 406-1595. That's 800-406-1595. Very good. It has been a pleasure to speak with you, Enrique. Thank you so, so much. I am pretty clear now, and I learned quite a few things tonight, and I hope our listeners have as well. Thank you so much, Enrique, for being our guest tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my guest tonight was Enrique Alvarez, the retirement doctor, and we spoke about different options uh, for 
retirement and uh, when we are ready he will come and speak about life insurance uh, a lot of things that we have to learn you are in tune to tertulia and uh, this is new england public radio <music> 